This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. You're hearing from Coal March and Triangle Pest Control's Donnie Shelton and PCO Bookkeepers, PCO M&A Specialist, and Turf Books Dan Gordon, as well as some of the biggest players in the pest control and lawn care industries. We're talking about what is changing in the industry and taking you straight to the front lines of what the future holds. If you're ready to grow your pest control or lawn care business, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insiders Podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Pest Control and CEO of Comarch, a digital marketing and sales services company for the pest and lawn industry. As with me always is my co-host, Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say hello? Hello, everyone. Yeah, he's very talkative today, obviously. <laughs> he managed to say hello. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great, Dan. We have an awesome guest on today. Uh, today, we're going to be, our topic today is technology trends and opportunities for the lawn industry. And I cannot think of a better person to address this topic than our guest. Do you want to introduce our guest here real quick, Dan? Sure. Uh, guest is uh, Bill Noonan. He's the president and CEO of uh, Real Green Systems. Joined the company in May of 19 and spent most of his career uh, leading vertical enterprises, software companies in the auto, uh, airline, property management, and telecom spaces with a focus on growth. Uh, he came as a result of a capital uh, um, injection by a private equity firm. And um, we are so glad to have him. And uh, welcome, Bill. Well, it's great to be here and, and, and spend the time with you guys. Well, let me just say before we get going, I have been so impressed with uh, what I've been seeing come out of Real Green as of late. And, um, you know, it's it's a pleasure to have you on here. And and I think it would be great for our listeners, folks that maybe don't know you as well or know kind of what's going or what, what's been changing there at Real Green. I know you've been hard at work. Uh, but could you just give us a little bit more insight into your background, Bill, and then, you know, how did how did you come across Real Green and and what brought you to the pest and lawn industry? Believe me, I get asked this question all the time, like, what are you doing? In the, and so, so, yeah, so maybe a little bit about, you, about your background and then kind of how you landed at Real Green. Absolutely, Donnie. So so my background, I grew up in Maine. In fact, I'm in Maine uh, right now uh, for a, a quick visit back home to spend some time with uh, with my mother. And uh, from Maine, you know, actually joined the Navy after I did my undergrad. So I spent time as a nuclear trained submarine officer. Uh, that was a great opportunity to learn how to lead teams, build high performing teams. And then sort of after that in grad school, fell into vertical software companies. So I spent my entire career, as Dan mentioned, in different industries in vertical software companies. And what's special about vertical software companies is they're really solving the unique challenges of those specific industries and they rely very heavily on having experts from those industries embedded in the organizations uh, and real green is a great example of that where we had our founder joe cusick who started this company 36 years ago came out of the industry literally codified many best practices for fertilization lawn care into our software as over time he built a very broad what i call portfolio of products and services and what caught my eye about Real Green were, was a few things. Uh, the first thing was I got to actually interview for the job at a users conference. So I see the full Real Green users conference, but I'll tell you, it was really interesting. 
seeing it from the side, just the passion of the customers. It was a little bit like a cult following. And yeah, I knew it was very much like a cult following. Well, I've been to a lot. Yeah. Incredibly, incredibly. <laughs> when you well. have a picture of Kool-Aid at the door, that you know that. Uh... <laughs> Indeed. I was, I was sold as soon as I saw that sort of interaction. And uh, it felt not only like a user's conference where they were sharing best practices around the software and for the industry, but just a phenomenal networking opportunity where folks came together very collaborative industry sharing best practices. Uh, so, so that certainly caught my eye. Um, also having great uh, private equity partners in Serent was another important thing to me because not all private equity is created equal and you wanna find a partner that's really focused on growth and making the necessary investments in the business to take it to the next level for the benefit of customers. Uh, and I say the third thing that really caught my eye about Real Green when I was introduced was just the breadth of the products and services to have a very comprehensive set of services like traditional marketing, print marketing, digital marketing, AMA, products that really focus on helping our customers grow, grow successfully. In fact, the data says that our customers grow three times the industry average when they adopt all of those front end growth solutions. And then having great software like Mobile Live to help support field technicians and help them effectively operate efficiently and sell and our service assistant core platform to make uh, customers efficient. Uh, and then our payment solution to help manage cash flow. So it was really that breadth of products that I found intriguing. There are a lot of smaller companies that sort of specialize in core backend software, but I love the notion of having a broad integrated portfolio because there's a lot of value that comes out of the integration of these products, you know, selling from the front end, inserting the customers in the back end system so that you can su support them. And that only comes when you have this sort of breadth of, of offering that we have. So not your first, so what I got from that is a little new to pests and law, maybe not so much now since you've been at Real Green in the seat for quite some time, but, but very much old hat when it comes to very niche software. Um, that's great. Good. So, one of the things, it, it's interesting, so, uh, you know, I've known Joe Cusick, the, the founder of Real Green for a long time, great friends, terrific guy. So somebody like, uh, who, who starts a software company and has it humming nicely. I mean, he's got a lot of customers and whatnot. What is it, other than maybe uh, an owner looking to retire or, or slow it down, what is it that private equity brings to a company? Um, you know, like what is private equity's role? How does their investment improve the company? But also what's the upside for the company's customers for all of those uh, real green users? That's a, that's a great, great question, Dan, uh, because, you know, there are a lot of mixed perceptions around what happens when private equity comes into the mix, you know, particularly in the case of a founder led business like Joe transitioning to private equity. But private equity brings focus um, and discipline and in general, software private equity is very producing the functional expertise necessary to sort of take the company to the next level. So they understand best practices for SaaS software. They understand the importance of establishing a functional team with expertise in particular areas like product management, really being thoughtful around how we design our products to strengthen engineering and architecture. So you build scalable quality products to best practices and customer success on how you ultimately improve customer engagement and support. So part of the private equity sort of playbook is to make sure 
that they introduce a CEO with experience who can build an effective team to bring those competencies to the table to build on the foundation of the great company that they've invested in moving forward. And then beyond that, there's a lot of discipline around sort of where and how we want to invest. And in the case of Saren, and one of the reasons why I decided to join Real Green is they're very supportive of continuous investment in, in reinventing sort of the, the products which benefit the customers. So you know, over time, you know, since I've been here, we've more than tripled the investment that we put into our products and services. And it's an evolution. You know, when you evolve a product portfolio over time, we built, or as Joe was leading the company in collaboration with his partners, built very feature-rich products that deliver a lot of value, uh, but they weren't integrated as effectively as they can be. So that's one of the themes that has been enabled through private equity and the focus and the leadership is how do we bring the products together in a more seamless way? How do we refresh and modernize certain elements of the portfolio? How do we ultimately become a really strong software as a service business? Because the historical uh, real green was more on-prem local software. And there's a lot that goes into moving from that business model to a true SaaS business model. It's not, it's not that simple. You really have to have robust hosting and support to make sure the products are architected and designed to operate effectively. and competencies when you marry those with deep industry experience so we've got great team members at real green that know the industry like beth barry or joe mcphail who's been here for uh, ever he's real greener number two you know bringing those two forces together can be magical in, in really trying to lift and accelerate the pace of innovation of the products and services that are that are mixed but but it's a process you know we are on a disciplined process like any company now you go through an annual budgeting process investment requests and we bring all the discipline to the table to explain hey these are the next two or three products that we need to refactor or rewrite and this is where we're going to innovate and and there's a discipline it's a standard process that most private equity folks uh, introduce to companies uh, and it just helps bring more focus to the investment ultimately through the lens of the customer to build better products and services and, and better support well, I, I, would have, I, I would have to say uh, that uh, that that from a discipline perspective, Joe had to have had some discipline. Any entrepreneur who builds a company that far, what's the difference between the dis discipline that that an entrepreneur has over his organization versus a professional CEO? Hang on, hang on. Dan, you're using the word entrepreneur and discipline in the same sentence. I just want to, <laughs> I just, I just, I just want to make that point here before you before you jump on this, Bill. Discipline and entrepreneurship. That's yeah. that's like uh, I don't know what could be more, no. All right, so go ahead. Peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think I think discipline is the matter. Discipline is the matter of focus, you know, as well is what's critically important at each company's stage of existence. And uh, those of you who know Joe, you know, he's very passionate about um, his customers. He's very passionate about the business, but he's one hell of a sales guy. You know, he is perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> enterprise sales guy that I have ever met in my career and, and that's very powerful so I think I think that was uh, historically a predominant theme in driving the growth taking real green way down the track and scaling the business very effectively uh, but but you know when you when you approach a business in a sales driven fashion like that you can build the business over time as was successfully done 
but sometimes you don't pay as much attention to the nuances of how products are architected, how they are developed for scale, some of the more systematic uh, things that go into product development. And that's generally um, what I have found in my experiences when I step into vertical software companies that are going through this transition from being founder-led to uh, being uh, more, more disciplined operators is, is just making sure that you're covering all the bases to build an effective software company going forward. So I will tell you though, one of the, one of the things that really caught my eye, not only that breadth of product portfolio, but the individual value propositions. And that was something Joe is laser focused on is, is automated marketing assistant. How can we really automate the communications for customers and drive cross-sell and upsell activity you know, when we think about traditional marketing, what are the most effective campaigns? How do you drive route density? That is good long care DNA that Joe injected into every single product and service that we offer. And that's why our customers do grow more effectively and faster than, than, than the industry at large when they effectively use all those products and services that we offer. But different focus, different types of discipline for different stages of, uh, of how a business develops. I got to believe, too, with private equity, you, you, you almost like expose almost like this micro market that may not be getting attention, you know, before, like, when, you know, now that you have private equity involved, you, you, you almost have this whole nother network now that you can tap into and, and, and leverage, right, as part of the business that you may not get that opportunity where it's being privately held, right? I mean, I, I don't know many people who think that, you know, Outside, well, I think private equity has discovered this, especially in pest control, and I think they're discovering lung care too. You know, pest control is not a sexy business, um, but once once it kind of gets, I don't want to say what's the word. I don't want to say exposed. What's the word I'm looking for here, Dan? Once it gets realized, like what's really going it's not on? Not a glamour I mean, business, and I, I would tell you, when I got in almost 30 years ago. Everybody laughed at me, and uh, yeah, you know, they still laugh at me for different reasons, but not for this one because uh, well. I, I've told this story before. My my favorite conversation I ever had with my mother-in-law was I'm, I never forget this. We were at their home eating dinner, and and they're like, "You write software, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And you fly airplanes, uh-huh. And and you're going, you're opening a pest control company? <laughs> That's exactly how I was asked. I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, anyway, all right, so. That's what happens. Yeah. So, Bill, so now, you know, obviously you got into the seat in 2019. And of course, you know, I don't think any discussion in the last probably year and a half would be complete without at least talking a little bit about COVID-19. And of course, it's kind of thrown everyone into this big whirlwind. Do you think there'll be any lasting impact on the pest and lawn industries as it relates to software or technology in general? Do you think there's going to be an impact? And if you do, what do you think those impacts are going to be? Oh, absolutely, Donnie. I think there are impacts, you know, across the board when we think about our everyday life that impact our my customers and customers. Um, and, and some of the themes that we've been tracking, we continue to monitor is obviously the, the remote work uh, place uh, scenario. And, and I think as we come out of COVID, knock on wood, we are coming out of COVID, you know, there's this tendency to sort of drift back to the way we operated historically but it won't be complete. It won't be complete. I think we've got a structural change where we are going to have more folks just working remotely and they need software and tooling that will help enable that. And that's where, for instance, 
web-based or SaaS products that we offer that can be uh, accessed anywhere from browser are far more flexible than some of the other the historical software constructs that were available and we've seen that uh, impact our business as we've continued to advance our service assistant 5 platform our next generation core platform and migrate customers from our previous platform SA4 we've seen an acceleration in that migration activity and one of the drivers was simply allowing folks to work remote uh, and enable that remote operation but I think you know one of the, some of the other trends that I think are being accelerated by COVID-19 is this notion of a paperless customer experience or a contact-free service experience. And there are a few dimensions to that. And I'll tell you, one of the things that surprised me the most was the rapid uptick in payment utilization that we saw literally overnight as we went through COVID-19. We've been tracking the increase in online payment utilization you know over years and it typically has been growing between three and four percent per year and literally overnight with COVID-19 we saw an eight to a ten percent spike in utilization so it was the equivalent of two to three years in utilization growth that took place in a month period and we have not seen any back step from that I think we've just seen a permanent change in how folks want to interact uh, with their with their business and service providers, uh, and they want online payment with huge benefits to the service providers. You know, we've seen you know reductions in obviously accounts receivable as folks pay online. It's just helped streamline the overall cash flow and performance of the businesses. And I think another element that has been a minor part uh, that can be an improving part of that increase in, in, in payment utilization is adoption of installment or budget billing different methods where you spread your cash flow out over the year and charge a monthly installment fee and we, we have a number of customers who are doing that and starting to push more aggressively to online payments but having a truly integrated payment solution that ties all the way back to your core uh, service assistant product is valuable it takes a lot of manual effort out of the process so i think that's a structural change it's going to going to going to be be with us as a result of covid and I'm curious to see if utilization is going to continue to accelerate, you know, as an after effect to this. I think another um, element of that paperless experience is uh, just how folks uh, communicate. You know, we've seen an uptick in use of video content, just like we are today on the call. We're having a video call. We're recording this and we're seeing a desire for our customers to be able to create video to share with their end customers uh, video for instance, capturing the condition of a, a spot in the lawn that needs to be treated and making recommendations associated with that or providing a video update of what was what took place during the, the service visit and feeding that information back to their uh, customers. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that, you know, much more heavy reliance on text communication. And that's one of the changes we've recently made uh, with our product portfolio and working with a partner called Captivated and developing bi-directional text integration into service assistant we're going to continue to enable more use cases for text type of communication as we go forward with customers but i think that the notion of remote invoicing rather than leaving paper on the doorstep we've seen just a, a push in that direction in 2020 as we've gone through covid 19 and acceleration of trends that were, were were there before but just a real kick in the butt to make them move faster so as far as from a, a customer perspective, though, um, you know, that, that that covers, you know, pretty much what 
your customers expect. But from you as a as a um, as a CEO, uh, what we our challenge because we've been working from home is accountability for employees and culture. How how have you addressed those two things? That's a great, great observations that we're, we're, you know, culture in particular. We, one of the things I do, we've gone through, we're in an environment now of a lot of change and you have to try and make the change fun. And part of that is sort of the culture system that we put in place, like real green flags and, you know, real greener numbers and things of that nature. You want to make it fun. And it's much easier to sort of have that tight interaction in, pers in person so as we have had to virtualize that, we've tried to replicate that to the best of our ability. And I think there are some themes that come out of how you virtualize that. One of them is the frequency of contact. Contact, You know, when folks are at home and they don't have that incidental contact in the workplace, for instance, we've increased the frequency of our town halls to weekly rather than monthly. So you have higher frequency of touch points. And we focus our town hall meetings on attribution and celebrating accomplishments of the team member. Uh, so you have to, and we've we've virtualized a lot of the fun activities that we do on a monthly basis from a cultural perspective, creating competitions and virtual events uh, to do that. So we bridge that way, you know, from a culture perspective. Uh, in terms of actual our effectiveness and productivity working at home, my sense is that our productivity has actually increased uh, despite the fact that many folks miss the social contact, the the ability to get together and celebrate with their teams. But we've been able to, to, to see this as well because one of the first things I did when joining was implement a number of new systems internally so we could run the business in a far more data-driven and disciplined way. So now when we have a remote salesperson selling, um, you know, we have much more visibility into what they're doing day to day, not only to, to sort of make sure we see what's happening, but also to create training and coaching opportunities uh, as well. And systems that we've implemented across the board have allowed us to be more effective at how we work remotely so that we can have the visibility, the controls and the tracking to see to see how people are performing and, and step in and help coach them when we need to. Well, one of the things I was going to say, too, and, and I've seen it, you know, at Colmarch and you know, take off the triangle hat here for a moment is and a lot of folks had already started down this path, but it seems like COVID just threw it into high gear. And that is the ability like these phone systems and and yeah. phone systems that are working remotely and, and being able to manage that and route calls and you know load balance and all the and you know luckily putting a triangle hat back on we had already went down the road of this and it was literally just flip a switch and check people's internet connection or internet connection and have them jump on but we've seen a lot of folks you know as far as coming to cool march and saying hey look we, we've got to upgrade our phone system because and i wasn't a huge fan of work from home beforehand, but I am very much a fan of it now. I don't think we're going to be 100% work from home, but certainly we're going to be much more flexible with our CSRs, our inside sales reps. If they want to spend a day at home each week, great, no problem. You know, Because we have not seen a change in close ratios. We've not seen a change in productivity. And, and much like what you just said, Bill, we've actually seen an increase in conversion rate. And so I'm, I'm all about letting folks go from home. So I think what you're also seeing is uh... Prior to COVID, those were from home. If there was a baby crying or a dog barking, that was horrible. Now people are just accepting of it. Yeah, you know, you're, yeah, it's it's all part of. It. Yeah, the yeah. the occasional video bomb is is to be expected now. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to a hybrid model, Donnie. You know, similar to your approach, and 
ultimately it'll be based on the functional team, but we'll always have space available for folks to come in and collaborate because we do know it's important culturally to get folks together in, in meetings and, and do work. But but I'd say it's it's still in a hybrid model it's going to lean towards working from home. You know, that's sort of our initial design. And we're going to watch it, see how effective it is and tell the team, hey, this is how we're going to start, but then we're going to evolve it over time if we need to, uh, to, to make it even stronger. Let me uh, switch gears here. Uh, so one of the things that um, I, you know, I, I've known Joe for a while, been involved with Real Green for a while, and one of the things that uh, was, um, you know, I keep hearing, uh, contrary to our guest last week, uh, Jamie Ogo from uh, Lloyd's, who uses direct mail, most people think that direct mail is is dead, except for the lawn care industry, uh, which it just keeps going and going. And Real Green was um, really, um, you know, a leader in that. Uh, what's your strategy going forward with direct mail? Where do you see it going? Um, is it going to be here for a while? Oh, I, I think it's going to be here for a long while, uh, Dan. And I'll be honest with you. When I joined Real Green, you know, coming from a software background, I was a bit skeptical about our direct mail marketing business. It was just curious to me. But what I learned is that in lawn care, it is a very effective uh, marketing uh, uh, medium. And uh, and we're thinking now holistically around what a true omni-channel marketing solution needs to look like, inclusive of, of Colmarch and our, our strategic partnership there, our automated marketing assistant email product. Uh, but traditional uh, marketing or print marketing is, is always gonna be a piece of that. In fact, we've seen the business grow. now. We made some changes to that business last year as a result of COVID that have actually made us more scalable, given us far more capacity and allowed us to grow year over year. Uh, but it is ultimately a very effective uh, means of marketing. And I think when you're marketing, you're thinking about different um, uh, marketing uh, channels, uh, whether it be digital marketing, traditional marketing, email marketing, uh, there's a role for all of these channels. And I think the magic is how you bring them together in one product to optimize the effectiveness of your aggregate marketing spend. And I think that's a big trend that we're working on now as we go forward, is how do we bring these solutions together in a far more tightly coupled way with good data analytics and insights that look across each source so that you can basically analyze sort of the effectiveness of those and rebalance where you put your spend. But I have full expectation that traditional marketing, uh, print marketing is going to be a big piece of that moving forward. And, uh, you know, we've, we've still seen great, great momentum with that, despite the fact that there is this paperless trend that I spoke to that's more operational paper, the effectiveness of marketing, the ability to drop that traditional marketing at the right point in time in the season you know, to drive sales is very, very important. That's another thing that we've improved significantly over the last 12 months is the precision, being able to hit that window for each one of our customers. And I last year, before we made the changes, we estimated that our on-time performance was only around 70%. This year, we've been in the high 90s, ranging between 95 and, and 97% month over month. Even going through our peak month of March, we have a massive seasonal spike. Uh, in a direct mail marketing, but we were able to hold those metrics. And a lot of that is due to the systems and processes and the visibility we put in place so we can see exceptions, we can see problems before they develop and get on top of it and make sure the mail goes needs to. 
Uh, and then the feedback we've gotten from customers, um, early feedback on the results of the campaigns this year have been very, very positive, um, you know, and uh, so it's a, it's a big part of our business and DNA. Uh, and I think what the next phase is how do we more tightly integrate that with the, everything else we're doing uh, and make it a much easier experience for customers to either order online or to um, to really see the effectiveness of those campaigns with better analytics and, and that's all stuff that we're working on. And I just want to make a quick point here for folks that are or pest control operators. I, you know, early on when I started Triangle, I ran several direct mail campaigns out to non-customers and they flopped big time. Like they just, you know, compared to what we were doing on the digital side and they just didn't work. But then, you know, again, talking with Joe, looking at kind of what was happening in the lawn care industry, I had this idea like, well, what if we use direct mail for our current customers? And so I would just, I mean, obviously Jamie, our last guest, you know, he's making it work with folks outside of his customer base, but at Triangle, we've been very, we've, we've, we've leveraged direct mail extremely effectively for our current yeah, those, customer those base. Those now their current databases. Yeah. The response yeah. rate yeah. extremely high. If you've got Absolutely. Especially yeah. when you're, when you're trying to sell additional services, you know, something that everyone can use, like, you know, mosquito control or those types of things. And so good. Well, I'm going to switch gears yet again. Uh, and, and I'm going to I'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball here for a moment. Bill. Uh, so when it comes to technology trends and then how that you know plays in the pest and lawn industries, what do you feel like is the biggest area of opportunity um, for, for both of these industries in, in the in the realm of you know, leveraging technology? Uh, and then are you seeing any other trends in other field service industries that you would expect, you know, make its way? to our neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, when I, when I think about sort of tech trends uh, in evolutions, I come at it through the lens of how relevant is this to a particular industry? I think of it in terms of market problems. What do our customers really want to see in our products and services to help them be more effective uh, with their customers? So I break it down into themes. I mean, what are the themes that really drive team efficiency, effectiveness, and also team satisfaction tools uh, that if a technician is out using a mobile eye product, you want it to be something that is seamless, operates very effectively, is not a distraction, but helps them do their job and, and be satisfied in what they do. Another theme being material or chemical efficiency. How are we helping our customers really optimize the use of, of chemicals uh, the other issue here is customer retention. You know, what what can we, how can we use technology to help our customers drive higher levels of customer retention? Next theme, drive growth, net new growth, or how do we use technology to drive regulatory compliance? You know, as in our industry, we see creeping expansion of regulatory requirements as we go forward. But there are a couple of things when it, to mash up against you know, sort of those business needs that I think are going to become relevant in the next two, three, four, five years as we go forward. One of them is this notion of machine learning, because if you want to develop, for instance, a customer health scorecard with predictive analytics, being able to predict when an end customer is going to be able to churn, machine learning is a valuable tool that many software companies outside of our industry outside of field services are effectively using today. And essentially looking at data sets, recognizing patterns and finding patterns that are being useful uh, to prevent churn or to drive an incremental 
30 minutes, another stop in a particular route. These are these are things that are going to become very, very important as we go forward. And and we we are starting to study this. We've had so much foundational work here to do over the last 24 months. We haven't really hit our stride from an innovation perspective, but these are areas that we're going to dig into to see how machine learning can help us improve our routing optimization, improve uh, material and chemical utilization, improve customer retention. So that's a good example of something that's a predominant theme today that I don't think has really been brought into some of these smaller verticalized software companies yet, just given the nature of where they are. You know, I think another theme that's going to help drive efficiency is this notion of the Internet of Things and literally instrumenting vehicles or equipment assets or perhaps even people with wearables at, at some point where you can you can do a couple of things you can make sure that you understand you know what's happening in the utilization of that equipment so that you can figure out when that equipment needs to be maintained uh, and we actually ran a pilot program last year with a, with a third party that had instrumented spreaders so we could see the coverage on the lawn to make sure that there was adequate lawn coverage in some cases in the pilots they recognized that a portion of the lawn behind the house hadn't been treated it was a total miss because of the instrumentation we had. So there's a sort of a, a, a liability or a quality control and training aspect to, to having better instrumentation of equipment. Now, I think this one's gonna take a little bit longer to play out because you're either working with aftermarket equipment that costs a lot to install on device, dev, aftermarket devices to install our equipment, or you're waiting for manufacturers to embed these IoT devices into their equipment. And some manufacturers are thinking about it, some of them are doing it. Uh, and then you need to build the software to take advantage of the data that comes off of that. So I think we're relatively early, but I think on a five to 10 year horizon, this is gonna become an increasingly uh, important technology to help drive efficiency, reliability, and quality of service as we go forward. I think another another trend that we talked about earlier that's here and now is virtual communications. And you know, we talked about how important that is today, but but what can we do to really improve that that contact-free communication between our lawn care providers and their end customers, you know, through video content, through texting, through you know, different tools that can be provided so that You've got a more intimate experience uh, improving upon, you know, best practices that are still used today with leaving invoices on the doorstep. But how do you make it a more personal uh, communication uh, to drive satisfaction, but also, you know, identify areas for upsell, you know, whether it's an issue in a lawn or an issue with a tree has been recognized that needs to be treated. You know, that you can capture that stuff and deliver those messages in different formats. I think that's going to be helpful. Um, and, you know, so those are three, I think, that are sort of on the cusp coming forward. I think you'll see platforms like RealGreen, which has historically been a closed platform, trying to build everything, all of our products and services in one thing, opening up and, and embracing the notion of integrating with more and more third-party, best-of-breed solutions like we've started to do uh, with Captivated, uh, recently inter uh, integrating with Waypoint Labs for soil testing. So now you can pull that soil testing data, which is very important to tune a fertilization treatment or course of action to improve a lawn, pull that data right into service assistant. But we're going to be looking for more and more ways to integrate to take the labor and the inefficiency out of, you know, handling multiple systems as we go forward. So 
lots of lots of exciting things coming and then sales uh, automation and trends like Lonbot, who's recently joined the portfolio i think we're going to see more automation um, from that perspective as well so let me just back up to one of the uh you know one, one of the cool jetson type things that you're so you're saying or if, let me know if, if if i heard you right that there are going to be some sort of something injected into the 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 uh, materials so that the spreading could then be tracked on a computer so you could actually do quality control based on like scatter charts is that kind of here's here's what we can we've got the resolution today with gps uh, sort of chipsets and measurements if you want to have the data refresh rate cranked up uh, effectively where the the actual spreader is in, instrumented so you can see the tracks you can measure the tracks of the spreader. You're measuring the tracks, not the, the, the fertilizer. Not, not the fertilizer at this point, although perhaps someday with nanotechnology. That's a cool idea, right? But, 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 but just actually uh, seeing the equipment operate, seeing the equipment operate, making sure that the pattern demonstrates, you know, 100% coverage or coverage targets, or if there was a particular area of the lawn that may have been missed. I. I think that's something that's going to be here relatively soon that we we can do. That's pretty cool. So uh, so uh, being that a lot of our uh, of of our listeners are real green users, is there anything you want to uh, announce, or is there anything any plans for the software over the next couple of years that that uh, you know maybe you could wet some whistles? Uh, uh, looking forward to those. Let, let me just pre- oh, now you're hearing it here first, okay? Just for folks, it's all brand new right here. Exclusively on the PNP Australia podcast. So there you go. I, I wish I, I wish I had a major announcement for you right now. But unfortunately, I don't. But I can I can I can sort of speak to sort of the themes. You know, uh, this has been a journey. Uh, and um, last year we had some really foundational work to do. We had some performance issues with our software that were a result of sort of our hosting infrastructure and. and so I'd say, you know, last year was very focused on driving stability and performance of our software, which is like foundational. When you deliver SaaS software, it's got to work with high reliability. So we've been we've worked across our portfolio of software to really lift our game there. We're focused on sort of strengthening the quality of, of our software releases and things like this. So we're this is like foundational nuts and bolts stuff that we're addressing right now which is also opening up more capacity for us as we become more efficient to focus on innovation. Uh, and uh, in perspective, a couple of themes. One, bringing our market it all together so you have a true 360 degree view of marketing spend, uh, and then you can sort of compare and control those different um, campaign types to optimize your overall spend. And as you both know, these are very, lawn care is a very seasonal business, particularly in the northern climate. So you have different activities, marketing at points in time, prepay season, whether it be, you know, sort of really focusing on driving new logo growth or periods where you want to cross sell a new service or upsell. And, you know, so bringing the pieces of marketing together so you can see the results and then putting together the optimum plan over that seasonal trajectory. That's an area we're very focused on, and but we've been doing foundational work like rewriting our AMA product. That's a big building block in that, like 
rewriting our CAW, our customer assisted website product, which allows our customers to interact with their customers. So we're getting the, and a strategic partnership with Colmarch and a deep integration with Colmarch. These are all elements of foundational building blocks that will allow us to bring this all together and, and really build on what has historically been one of Real Green's biggest strengths, our marketing solutions that help our customers grow. So that's a theme you're gonna see play out over the next 24 months as we go forward. Um, you're gonna see more uh, third-party partnerships come into play. One of the things that has constrained our ability to move really fast with third-party integrations has been the fact that we had to build an API library from scratch, sort of the integration uh, capability. Our team has made phenomenal progress at, at building out our API library. We still have work to do, but that's going to allow us to build more integration points with third parties and increase the ecosystem value of Real Green uh, and other uh, participants uh, in the in the industry going forward. Uh, and then I think, apart from, really want to get to the point where we can focus on those important things for our customers: uh, team and labor efficiency, chemical efficiency, retention. And we've got some things on the drawing board. We just haven't had a chance to really dig into those yet, but we're doing some preliminary design work. We have been, but that's something that's going to happen over the next couple of years as well. We're going to gradually dial up our performance there because we know those are the biggest drivers uh, for our customers uh, in, in creating more value and supporting the growth of their businesses. Well, it sounds like... Uh green fields hey, come on i tried to i got nothing i tried to get some sort of joke here green 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 grass ahead i don't but no it sounds great no i get i you know so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here and i want to just finish out with one more question and, and then we'll all be done here which is okay so i am a two million dollar pest control owner two million dollar lawn care company owner um you know what in terms of implementing software and new technology you know, obviously you know at that level you're you're doing everything you can to improve profitability and try to grow the business what do you consider to be some low-hanging fruit or some things that those owners could focus on that just would be big wins out the gate that you are aware of you know uh, so so when i think about growth being you know in in my understanding of this industry and i'm learning every day you know uh, in in this process but it's about sort of really optimizing route density. Very, very important in, in optimizing route density. Then on top of that, you know, having a broad portfolio of services that you can cross sell and then having good tooling to drive new logo sales. So I'll give you some very specific things. Lonbot, you know, recently joined the Real Green portfolio as a sales automation tool that sells 24 seven. Uh, it really cuts the response time down to zero. When a lead comes in, regardless of the time, it allows you know for a preliminary estimate of the uh, estimating all the way through closing the deal to taking a credit card payment. And folks that have been using this, and relatively early, we've got a couple hundred customers using this today. Folks that are using it today are seeing you know cost of sale less than 20 bucks. So it's a very effective tool. It sells 24/7. Uh, doesn't require anybody in the office, you know, uh, doing running sales team. So it's. I think that's an automation point that'll be very helpful for growth. Uh, another thing I mentioned this soil testing integration that we did. You know, it's an opportunity for our customers uh, to monetize not only the soil test but use it as a platform to really inform 
what they're going to do, how do they evolve the treatments that they need to do. But our, our average, you know, the customers that have implemented sort of this integrated product today are, are getting about, you know, 40 to 50 bucks a soils test, which is a new add-on product that might be something that can help drive uh, tangible growth here in, in the near term. But, but really what it comes down to is when we think about route density is refreshing your marketing database, having good marketing data, having that targeted marketing data, you know, implementing some of the tooling we have for one-step sales using our measurement assistant where you can measure the property and close the sale very, very quickly. You know, I think um, referral assistant is another product that we have that helps build that route density that allows customers to refer other customers. And it happens in neighborhoods. So it really is one of those themes that helps build uh, route density in addition to sort of our block lead sales module in our mobile live solution that, you know, is something that we've been working with for a period of time. But it helps a technician have visibility when they're in a neighborhood as to whether this is a customer, that's not a customer. If it's not a customer, what's the data we have available to go sell and help pitch that customer and drive route density? But those are some of the tools that we have that are really tangible that can help build route density, help drive new sales, and at least one add-on product for you to consider there in soil testing that, that might drive some immediate uptick that's now fully integrated you know, with Service Assistant 5 so the data flows in and you can see it in the back end uh, for the recommendations. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Well, Bill, it has been awesome having you here on the podcast. And Dan, we actually got through a real green talk as Bill was finishing out there. Do you know what word came to my mind? What's that? I have never sat through a real green marketing talk or just talk in general without talking about the marketing universe. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like we didn't say that. So I had to say it at the end. You know, I just it would not I be complete without it. I've never been to a real green event without purchasing something. So uh, yeah, that's true, too. There you go. So no, well, hey, Bill. It has been wonderful having you on the podcast. Great. Uh, I mean, just great having you here. Great to hear your perspectives. Dan, any parting thoughts before we close here? No, I don't think so. I, I really appreciate you coming and, and joining us. And uh, it's been very insightful. Really appreciate well, it. Well, thank you, Bill. Great to spend well, time with you guys. Appreciate it. Well, that's that wraps it up for this episode of the PNP Industry Insiders Podcast, where we look at what's changing in the industry and take you to the front lines to those that are making those changes in the industry. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes, please, please, please leave us a review um, up on Apple or Spotify, however you consume the content. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Take care now. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thanks, guys.